0: If you enjoy far-out conversations that blow your mind, well, you're really going to like today's episode with Chance Garten, who is the host of the Interverse podcast, which is dedicated to prying open your third eye portal to the infinite and keeping you in perpetual synchronicity. Join us for this episode today.
1: Show You're invited, delighted, to discover who you are. Anything is possible if you believe To so join us on this beautiful journey. So that to
0: show. So let to show. Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Soul Nectar Show, that show where we talk about all things essence, where we gather around the campfire and we share our stories of connection to that, which is bigger than us, the big mystery, the man behind the curtain, what's going on here in this uh, thing called earth and life and um, who are we really and uh, what are our realizations. And I'm all about realization. I just love realization. And then putting realization into embodied action its like even better. I'm your host, Carrie Hummingbird, and I welcome you here today for a fascinating discussion with uh, my, my new friend, Chance Garten. Welcome, Chance, to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. Had a blast when we connected on my show not that long ago, so I've been looking forward to this ever since, and it uh, gives me something good to do on Valentine's Day while I'm buried in the snowpocalypse here.
0: Yeah, the snow apocalypse. Yeah, so we are we're broadcasting to you from Valentine's Day. And whenever you receive this episode, you'll just know you'll feel that love inside your being from this special day of love. And uh, you know, yeah, Chance uh interviewed with him on his podcast, Interverse. We had a very groovy out there, transcendental conversation. I was definitely channeling all kinds of White Eagle up and down, and it was amazing. And I'm hoping this stuff happens again today because that was so fun. <laughs> so Chance is a creator of all trades and an enthusiastic mirror of self-awareness. And if you see the uh, the uh, the promotion for my interview with him on Interverse, it's like he also does this great artwork like he's just inspired. He's an inspired individual seeking refinement for our collective consciousness. Chance dedicates his energy to inspiring positive evolution in his own life through connecting with others who are on their path to perfection. And this is this is how we be the change, is that we we have these conversations and we open up that third eye portal to the infinite to keep us in a perpetual synchronicity and to connect us to that which is bigger than us. And who knows what's going to happen next? I have no idea. Let's, that's kind of what's exciting about it, actually, is not knowing. So you can join chance for all kinds of inspired interviews with conscious creators of all kinds, including myself on interverse. And I'll put a link to his podcast in the show notes. So this is, uh, the beginning of another, one of those awesome conversations, um, exploring that we're one consciousness expressing through individual uniqueness, which is something that chance and I hold in common in our, our belief systems, our perspectives. So Chance, what do you want to say? How do you get started in all this? Like, what was your pathway to even opening up to do a podcast called In Reverse and to invite, you know, interesting unicorn people like me on your show to have conversations? Like, what is, how did that even get started?
1: Oh, you know how it is on the path. There's a lot of things that look like you're just hopping over a, a pebble, but it was really a massive stepping stone. So where it begins, uh, it just depends on how far back you go, but I was pretty standard as far as a Midwest, middle-class, young male, went to college, kind of floundered around in there not knowing exactly what I was there for. Uh, And at one point, though, near the end of my tenure at the university, there was a class that was about writing the spiritual journey. And after being disillusioned of my faith from uh, documentaries like Zeitgeist and starting to... I didn't go very down, far down the rabbit hole, but in my late teenage years, I looked at, I was like questioning everything in my life and authority. And I looked at Christianity from the astro-theological perspective, but not from a spiritual lens, really more like uh, it's a conspiracy. They're just using this against you. And it's the same play and it's a trap. And so it really caused me to shed everything in my identity that was spiritual or non-material or the initiation of my adulthood and when I got into this class writing the spiritual journey it was not long after I'd started to finally lose weight from learning to meditate actually oddly enough that caused me to get a lot slimmer <laughs> it's just I guess the uh, parasympathetic system getting to work more and be more relaxed more consistently I don't know but I was coming out of uh, several types of shells, physically and spiritually, and this class was symbolic of it, where the only goal of the class was to write answers to questions that you ask yourself about what you think about the cosmos, about life, about reality, whatever perspective, no wrong answers, even if your spiritual journey is to write about what a massive scientific atheist you are, and how, or whatever, like, that was all fine. The teacher was a really cool dude. And uh, that was what began me thinking again about these topics. And a lot of other things happened after that, but it was like, that was the first crack in the shell of the spiritual light coming back in for me. And then many other things led me farther and farther down that beautiful garden path, (laughs) garden of Eden path, I guess. And uh, music festivals were a big part of it, getting to be around pure pure creativity imagination and celebratory joy you know that's a whole conversation in itself the festival culture the light and the dark of it can't, i can't talk about one side of it without people reminding me of the other side of it i just <laughs> love those type of communities though either way because radical authentic self-expression is a core component of it regardless of what positive or negative things go on in the vicinity which is true for any subgroup of humanity you look at there's yin and yang happening so what I love about that community and what really woke me up was just seeing how people could get by on art about on their soul's mission on their creativity how that for a lot of the individuals I encountered in that community maybe not exactly the same as the type of conversation you'd have with a a professional artist in a a gallery in a downtown big city somewhere. Not that they might not have deep spiritual experiences through their creativity, but the people in this like traveling gypsy festival world, their creativity was their spiritual path. And I'd have these conversations with uh, people that were very inspiring and just like, how did you get here? And I still had this uh, programmed virtue projection that we all start off with. And some of us never even stop doing, which is that, Oh, they're so talented. I could never do what they're doing. But I came to realize the only thing different between us and our heroes is the time and effort. And there is such a thing as aptitude, which is actually just another way of describing how passionate you are about it, how much you like it. And in that sense, it has nothing to do with your value or your potential as a being and everything to do with the way energy flows through the mechanism of care being the primary conduit for energy to flow in the entire system is care. So. I saw people doing what they cared about, regardless of how profitable it was and living the life that they cared about, regardless of how it was perceived from the outside. And that was really inspiring to me. And those are the type of people I wanted to converse with early on in Interverse. And kind of the whole scope of the show was about art as a spiritual path and as a and way to liberate yourself from suffering and how to resonate with the emptiness within instead of... Feeling consumed by a void. (laughs) Because when I started creating stuff, even was just random and didn't have a lot of purpose, just drawing with Sharpies and whatnot. I felt that void start to vibrate or sing and instead of being a hollow that just made me feel, you know, worthless. And that was the big step for me along the way of becoming a podcast host was that I realized, oh, I can teach myself anything I want to teach myself. And eventually podcasting, was a natural fit because of how conversations like what we're having between us right now would happen in my life so frequently. And I thought, why not capture that? I listen to podcasts. They massively benefit my life. I think I could do it. If anybody's listened to enough shows to know what a good show should sound like, it would be me. But that's kind of what led me to where I am now, although the path has been very surprising. And lately, especially in the last year or so, I've been confronting how art is not just a spiritual path and creativity is not just our access point to the divine, but there's also the dark arts, if you will, that art art, as artificiality can be something that does not harmonize with nature and lead us to the symptomatic society that we have now. And that was a a big plot twist for me was realizing that, oh, not all art is actually beneficial to humanity can be antithetical to nature, or it can exalt nature, or at the very least describe nature accurately, in which case it's resonant and beautiful. But in terms of dark arts, I mean, all we have to look at is big pharma to recognize dark arts. Even the word pharmacy derives from the a Greek root that meant witchcraft and sorcery, among other things. So not to say everyone in those industries is a, a sorcerer or an evil witch, but I think the point is to be made that we ought to be careful what we're creating because everything that we that we manifest that's of a temporary nature thus is artificial and if our arts are not in alignment then we corrupt our own nature at least in the temporary space that we occupy that nature
0: gosh so many things you just said i could go down a thousand little rabbit holes with you right now and i'm just right now picking which one i want to go down oh okay. yeah we didn't
1: plan this that was just what no, came that's out today
0: yeah no that's amazing i love this kind of conversation wait and i i think it'll all circle back around because i'm seeing a couple of themes but they're all related and here's one theme where i want to go down yes i agree with you like i definitely spent my time following the grateful dead for a while not really following them i was the I was the corporate type that followed them on the weekend as long as it was convenient and I could go to the amphitheater and see them on the weekend and then have fun with all the people that were like seaweed people and danced around like seaweed and then I you know I was just trying not to get trapped up inside them because I didn't I didn't want to go all the way in I wanted to experience it on the weekend and then I wanted to go back to my predictable safe life and with my income and everything like that you know so I was a uh, I was a uh, I was on the outside looking in and going that's really cool and I don't want to immerse in that.
1: Some people um, don't come out. Yes. When, they yeah, go, when so their like, head goes under those waters, it's just like woo. See you later.
0: I, I thought I not. I I love this and I'm definitely and I have a gene key that is all about intoxication. My attraction sphere gene key is all about um distraction as the shadow leading into um up until um basically um well i just lost the thread on it but you know what i'm talking about intoxication is the city so being intoxicated and being intoxicated you can be intoxicated in a whole lot of ways right like there's there's like intoxication from wine right, which I've experienced in my life plenty. There's intoxication from drugs, you know, like uh, plant medicines and things like that. There's intoxication on that leads you, like addiction, right, that leads you down into a dark hole. Those are Those are ways to be intoxicated. There's also intoxication that opens you up to the majesty of life. Like there's intoxication that opens you up to like wow, like this universe is freaking amazing. And, you know, like you can see the beauty of everything as you open to the beauty way. And I feel like the beauty way is like, is harmonizing with nature, like you were talking about, like being harmonic with everything that's happening and being in the flow of that and being in, in cohesion with it rather than being like, you know, sort of like resisting it. But, but the cycle, the beauty, you know, the beauty way also acknowledges that in nature, there's cycles, right? So there's like birth, you know, flourishing this summertime, the youth, like the passion, the thing, becoming a giver of life yourself. And then like coming back down into the releasing and the letting go and then being a wisdom keeper and then coming in and in and in and dying. And then the whole thing starts over again. So like the, Like many people might not see the death part as beautiful, right? Like it definitely doesn't feel beautiful, but actually maybe it is. So what's your lens for seeing what's beautiful and what's not beautiful? And that's a conversation I bring you now in this whole art sphere that you've been immersed in. You know, What are some thoughts about what I just said that you might have?
1: I think that's a, the beauty way is a great phrase because aesthetic philosophy, if you will, is I think a useful lens all around because there's a reason that things have beauty for us and it has to but we have to maybe be able to get beyond surface level beauty to find the harmony that type of resonance i think our society has shoved the surface level out at us as what is the most important aspect of beauty but as you said in different phases of life different things are beautiful different expressions are beautiful And, you know, I want to touch on what you said about the dead community and about your, you know, dipping your toes in, but then going back to your job. That's kind of how I did it with those worlds too. And I would dabble in some of the things that were around, like, you know, magic mushrooms and all that, which gave me some great mind blowing experiences, realizations like, oh, we don't cultivate the plants, they are cultivating us, actually, and then we turn into their compost. Ooh, that's interesting. Things like that, like huge reversals of the inverted perspectives that we'd been indoctrinated with from a spiritless, material-led, you know, society and culture. And at a certain point, I didn't need those types of intoxicants anymore. And I also saw the harm that reckless use was doing to people around me. And so I You know, it suggested its own disuse, I guess, is a way of putting it. And I came to a level of sensitivity through continuing to work on myself with stuff like Qigong. I think Qigong was the real bridge to this for me, but working with my internal energy flows with Qigong gave me the ability to really hone my empathy aperture such that if I was around that space of that type of psychedelic collective mindset like at a, a big event where many people are in the space I could tune into that and out of that it will and I could I could just tell I got to the point where I knew what somebody around me was on so to speak based on the energy I could pick up off them even if it wasn't talking to them I could just sense it and I think why I'm going here is because this is the same exact thing that helps us detect beauty from the harmony level instead of just from the physical shininess, smoothness, uh, you know, symmetrical perfection level. It's the type of, it's the type of uh, self-awareness that would let you look at a vulture and realize that it was beautiful. That when it eats the carrion, which is one of the most toxic, speaking of intoxicants, one of the most toxic parts of the environment is this rotting, dying flesh that would continue to putrefy and possibly make a blight in that spot or something if uh, a a vulture doesn't swoop in and eat it and then the, the beautiful thing about the vulture which is only beautiful because of its harmony not because of what it is is that its excrement is one of the most sterile biological compounds known to science perfect sterility like totally clean totally safe no nothing going on there that's harmful or toxic at all and it turned one of the most horrible toxicants of the environment into that. It does it all the time. And that's its role. And that is also beauty, not just the beautiful hummingbird, which has, you know, obvious external qualities of beauty, right? And so that's kind of maybe the way I feel like answering that question today, catch me on a different day, might have a different answer.
0: (laughs) No, I love that you just said everything you just said. One of the things I'm I'm exploring is um, this Gene Key 11, which is all about um, the light, that the city is the light, right? But it starts with obscuring the light. Like it starts with, you know, I don't know what that word is, obscuration or something like that, but it starts with that obscuring quality. And the thing about it is that As I was, as I've been listening to it and meditating and contemplating on it and reading what it has to say in the book and just letting that kind of percolate around the message I'm getting about that is that we have this idea like this Western idea, or I don't know this like you're talking about the inverted, you know the material inverted pyramid where, you know we have this idea about reality that's maybe not quite true. And it's all based on polarity and it's like, okay, well, well, this is good and, and this is light and this is like angelic and this is dark and this is bad and this is evil and demonic, right? So we have this like construct, this thinking. And what this gene key is suggesting is actually it goes deep into the darkest of the shadows and it goes all the way through them with presence like it, it just it, it lets them all be witness almost like they all rise up for a big dance and show off you know like they just you just witness all of it and it goes all the way down deep inside into the darkest darkest shadow and then it keeps penetrating and piercing deeper inside there and then all of a sudden the light is found inside all that darkness like like there's like this unity of everything and it's not light in the sense that we think about light it's like it's like a, a different kind of light. It's not. It's not this way that we've been perceiving. It's. It's more profound than that, and it's like the source of all that is. And actually, when we look into quantum space, like when we think about, like, whoa, you know, where does life begin? It begins in the in the nothing. In the you know, it's like there's nothing there actually until there's something. So. What's the light? You know, it kind of makes your mind just sort of not understand this because it, it's it's like beyond the mind. It's beyond the superficial. It's beyond the conscious mind. It's like well down into the subconscious terrains, the spaces that, of course, we're all terrified to go because we don't really want to know what's down there because there's a mix of stuff down there, right? Like there's all kinds of stuff. there's, you know, as they were talking about in this path as you if you have this gene key, which I don't, but my son does. So that, and he's an artist too. So he's an expressive. And I started understanding, cause I was like, oh, he's like, he's tapped into like the, like the collective unconscious in his artistry. And he's revealing, it's like coming, like these images that come through him. He's just like, he needs to keep expressing it. Like in some of these images are, you know, if you look at them as, as me liking hummingbirds and flowers and pretty things, as I look at this artwork, I'm challenged by it because it's not pretty in that way. You know what I'm saying? Like it's challenging for me.
1: Well, okay. There's a lot of stuff here. That I, I know, think right? I can tie together. <clears throat> I think I can tie it all together. Okay. Well, first I'm going to just make a note of what I want to address. And then I'll see if I can weave or bob and weave through it. First is the, what is that original light before the distinction of light and darkness? The light of Pure mind, or or source, or God. We'll get into that. I can't say what it is, but I can explain maybe the dynamics of that a little as I see it now and recently. Second part I want to address is the nothingness because that is, you know, the existential concept, if you will, that has been on my mind most over the last couple of weeks, and I've been even, you know, pinging the universe for conversations about nothingness, please, like, because <laughs> I think even though contemplating the void might seem nihilistic is actually helpful. It's actually profoundly important for deprogramming. And I might not be able to weave the deprogramming aspect in yet, but we'll get there. So uh, let's talk about the artwork first. And what is perception? Because you're perceiving something that's on the page. It's the idea of form in a way because it's not even a real physical form. But when we observe something, regardless of its form, or how it's coming to us. We need to be aware that we only ever see 180 degrees of whatever that we look at. Even sounds that we hear are coming at us from an angle and a direction and from a different, and those sound waves go out in different directions and might bounce different ways and might sound kind of different. So like everything that we perceive, we touch something, we're not touching the rest of it. It works this way across the spectrum. And What is showing us is that nothingness is part of somethingness, inseparably, that for you to have the distinction of perceiving an individualized object or a a moment, a collective of your senses, we'll get into how our senses work to give us this movie-like continuous uh, stream of reality consciousness. (laughs) But okay, so maybe actually I'll just go into that real quick. We have, uh, I I think the way that it works is that instead of our senses picking up the data of all the different things that they pick up and then routing that through our nervous system to our brain, that are the kind of common conception is that your brain is somehow receiving all that electricity and then routing the signals at the right time structure to give you a continuous flow of reality experience. But when you think about that, we know that, there's actually a certain amperage, if you will, like a certain, it's like 100 milliwatts or something or millivolts that is the electricity uh, strength of your synaptic you know, information travel through your body. And it, at different times, it can raise up to a higher threshold for, for whatever reason, but it's generally about there as I understand it. And what that would mean is that your fingertip is sending a signal to your brain. At faster, it's getting there faster than your toes, your ears are not exactly synced up with your eyes. And I think that it's way too complicated. Uh, it's over over complicated to act like the brain is somehow receiving all those signals, and then cobbling it together and giving you the experience the way that you have it. What if instead your third eye, that is the aperture that is taking in the undifferentiated original light that you brought up? the light before there's obscuration of any kind. And what happens from there is that based on what your amygdala thinks that you can handle without freaking out, it will give you as much of that light of reality and truth and source as you can handle right then. But by splitting it through the prism of the optic thalamus and routing that light in the form of electricity to all the different parts of your body that are going to be involved in simulating whatever it is that you are Creating the experience of out of that source light that original light so you can create any experience out of that It's literally a portal inside you But we look at it as it's this external world. That's bringing us these sensory experiences Routing that to our head and we're seeing a hologram in our head and I think it's inverse of that and actually inside your head is pure undifferentiated potential pure light before anything else And then all the different senses of your body or your body parts that are receiving that light, they obscure some parts of it in a different way based on what that sense is. Your eyes obscure everything from your visual factor that aren't, that isn't uh, what you should be perceiving right then without freaking out. And then you might have an experience where your eyes are dilated more and your third eye aperture is dilated more and you're seeing Maybe even beings are just swirling energies or subtle, subtle fields like the aura. But anyway, I think that the nothingness, to to circle back around to that, nothingness in all of this understanding can be said to not even exist. That the only existence is existence, and non existence is ineffective in canceling out existence as far as polar opposites go. You can't cancel out effectiveness with ineffectiveness, if you will. So, the very ability to conceive of nothingness proves that there is only eternal reality and that from the undifferentiated source, it seems no different than nothingness because it's pre-distinction. And the only difference is we view nothingness as pure infinite darkness and blackness and void. And we view this light of source as pure white light, crystal clear, eternal potential. When in reality... This yin and this yang, nothingness and everythingness are one, and there is no distinction, and that's our source of power. And it's why well, I don't even believe in a creation. I don't even believe in a beginning. I think, <laughs> I think life just is, and life is the meaning of life, and life will continue because reality is reality. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. I hope that all flowed. That's kind of been a big thing on my mind lately, that entire flip of how we consider our perceptions to work. I think it's helpful.
0: Yeah, I think um, what's interesting is that I know from our, well, I only know because I believe I agree with it and I believe in it, but I believe in the gene keys. I believe in their efficacy only because as I as I studied, I didn't know anything about them before and I had this life experience, right? And then I found out about them. And then I started listening to this guy who's been channeling them, right? He's been like documenting them or whatever. And they uh, he,
1: Richard Rudd, right?
0: Yeah, Richard Rudd. And it's not yeah, just I like, like the Gene
1: Keys. I've got that book. It's
0: fantastic. So as I as I was listening to them, I'm like, this is my life. Like I these are the things I think about all the time. Like my Gene Keys. I'm like, I think about this shit all the time. These are the things that concern me. So that's so weird, you know, because it's there. Oh,
1: yeah. My Gene Keys totally nail me. Like it nail me. Like, like,
0: <laughs> that's exactly what I think about. So as I'm thinking about this, because I'm trying to understand, because I think the gene keys are wonderful to understand ourselves, and they're also a wonderful tool to try to understand the people that we love. Now, when I say try, I realize, because I have the gene key about don't try, just do. You know, I have the Yoda gene key of like, you know, like, don't just, don't, there is no try, do or do not, you know? So I am in the process, I'll say that, I am in the process of understanding my son as best I can, given the fact that I'm not in his sunprint suit, like not. And he, this 11th gene key is his purpose. As I'm looking through it, I'm like, this is starting to make sense to me. Like, oh, so like he sees things like, like when you talk about the third eye thing, he's able to visually perceive things in the space that I'm not able to visually perceive. Like, like he can see shadow, you know, entities and things on people, stuff like that. I don't see that i i have felt those things in my course of my own um practice as a healer i have perceived and felt because i'm a feeler i can feel those things but i haven't like seen it you know but he can actually flat out see it and he can hear and all this his senses are wicked open like he can really hear like clear audience and 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 everything and it's over i can't imagine being that sensitive it'd be really like almost too much to know that much information So mine is more closed, right? And I think it's by my agreement because I don't actually, like you were talking about your amygdala, like what can you actually handle? And I think if I actually saw like the things that I've been clearing out of people, if I could visually see it, I think it would really freak me out. You know, like I'd rather just kind of not see it and work with the energy of it, right? And it helps me to have more compassion because I'm not seeing something that visually my mind might think is really scary, right? So then I would put a label on it and then I would be afraid instead of being able to have compassion. So I think for me, I'm better designed not seeing that stuff and just like helping people and clearing it, right? Like clearing it, sending it to the light or whatever, like helping it be understood, whatever it needs, you know, compassion and for things to relax. So he can see it though. So he's different than me. And then he creates these artworks that are based on these images. And when I see the artworks, it's like, it's a little freaky to me because I like things like this. Hi, (laughs) I dig, I dig flowers, you know, I dig, I don't like necessarily like, I don't like rotting corpses and stuff like that. That doesn't really, I know that's part of life, right? And so then it begs the question in me, am I like not embracing the totality of life? Like, am I only focused on, and I think the answer is yes, only focused on things that I deem beautiful that are culturally also perceived as beautiful, right? And I'm, I'm focused totally in that area. And I'm just like not interested in the other stuff.
1: I think that you could be <laughs> right about that. And you also made it clear that your aperture in this sense is your own agreement. And that's what we can all take away is that first of all, aperture is interesting, because it's not just like a camera lens where you're letting in more or less light across a one dimensional spectrum gradient. In fact, you could open your aperture to one aspect of a subtle energy and not to the other, if you will. And I don't think that you're wrong. I think what's important is to know that you are in charge of the aperture. (laughs) That's really important. And then like, it's probably kind of high level to have the ability to uh, do it consciously and know that, well, I don't really wanna see a certain spectrum of this thing because it's not necessary for me to do my work. And it might throw me off. Like, I've had spontaneous opening experiences that left me kind of not functional until I tightened things back up again within, if you will, like, boundary dissolving, crazy experiences, kind of freaky, kind of scary, like, am I ever, am I losing my mind, you know, that type of stuff, (laughs) spiritual emergency, maybe you could say. So back then, I didn't really have this framework of aperture as I am using it now. I just like that word because I'm a photographer. So I think it's a cool word. (laughs) But as far as the like scary artwork goes, uh, there's, you know, I'm I'm not really sure how to psychologize that because it's actually is important to take ownership of death conceptually and for yourself in your own self. Yeah, your death is not a curse. It's a blessing. And at the end of your life, in the moment of your death, it's the final moment to choose who you are. And I, and I think there's a lot of truth to the idea that all we have is to, all we have to do is decide what type of men and women we want to be with the time we have left. That's a deep, deep realization that that's really your only choice in the matter everything else ties back to that and so if you are taking ownership of your death what that means is you're taking responsibility for the life you're going to lead at every moment because at any moment that could be the last moment and you want to be able to look yourself in the eye (laughs) in in the you know letter i i uppercase i (laughs) you want to be able to look yourself in the eye in that moment and be coherent and i mean i have more i have theory about coherence in terms of your your field and whether it's too dissonant from fear and attachment or not in the moment of death could have a lot to do with the next phase that you go into you could probably be programming your next experience with that I think that's why there's cultures like with the idea of Valhalla that a a courageous death in sacrifice to your people uh, you know with bravery is the ultimate ticket to heaven and make of that what you will. It's complicated and cultural, but the concept to me makes sense to look that, to be always looking that final moment in the eye and accepting it, accepting the gift of it and taking ownership of it instead of waiting like a, you know, lame beaten dog for the moment that your master finally takes you out back and shoots you. That's the deterministic, like everything's my fate is happening to me. Book of fate versus book of destiny. That's your thing, you know? <laughs> like, totally. Yeah. So, as far as, you know, the last thing I'll say about the scary imagery is that it couldn't be disturbing or dark feeling without the implication that there's something else other than that in existence. You know, it's kind of, <laughs> you're just kind of looking at things from a different angle, I think is probably totally healthy, especially at that age to do that. Now, I've met people later in their life that had artwork that was very disturbing. And then I got the sense off of certain people like that, that they had energy vampire experience on purpose. Like they knew what they're doing. The artwork was part of the strategy and that they were basically looking for the cracks in people to siphon out some light. And maybe it's entities involved with them that are driving that show, but I've seen that happen too. But I don't think that that's the case for like a teenager that's creating some dark art. I mean, you should have seen—I made—I <laughs> was a teenager. Me and my friends would just make the most ridiculous sort of stick figure. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. We had this character called Kitty Bearman, and it was like a half bear, half man stick figure guy. And we draw giant Kitty Bearmen that were just massacring thousands of stick figure soldiers. And we'd use a red pin to make like the blood geysers and explosions and UFOs coming in with lasers. And it was just over the top. And to us, it was funny. We were just being goofy teenage boys. So to some degree, I think that's pretty normal and not to be troubling, but also a useful point for you to reflect because I think you could be right that, you know, maybe you're dismissing the vulture as not being culturally beautiful to the the culture that is itself vulture like
0: (laughs) yes the culture itself that is vulture like and disowns all that war stuff right like for United States people anyway that stuff happens like over there somewhere you know some other country where we like put our soldiers and we go do that over there like we don't do that here. you know like
1: no the reality of it's not a joke I mean
0: it's not a joke at all
1: bad things happening
0: so i mean and this is in the space right like this is in our cultural subconscious so if you got you know as as you know i feel like as we're here we are adding plant medicine into the mix right i mean we have been doing that we were doing that in the 60s and i think it sort of took a little vacation for a little while and now it's back in form you know it's like way back And a lot of people are engaging in, um, you know, marijuana, a lot of people are engaging in ayahuasca. And I think people are still doing LSD and things like that. You know, so there's definitely a big concoction going on out there in the world. You know, people engaging in these mind altering substances and what do they do? They open the aperture like you're talking about. They open the aperture. And they help you see from a new angle and they and they stir up the subconscious and they bring things forward, you know, that buried in the subconscious, things that are ready to be witnessed, right? That want to be witnessed and, and seen. And that's really the way the reclaiming process, you know, it's like how we reclaim our shadows, so to speak, our collective shadows. And I think that there's some people on the planet that are here for like reclaiming ancestral and collective shadows. And, and so they might just have a lot more Um, on their plate. I know I was one of those people, you know, I was always the one in the medicine journey that had like the huge journey with like all this stuff going on. And I'm like, at some point after years of this, I said to myself, I can't, this isn't all mine. Like I'm not that screwed up. You know, like I know that this is not all my shadow. This is somebody else's too. This is not just mine. You know, like this is collective is ancestral. Like there's something going on here that's what got me thinking about like, where'd it come from? You know, what is it really in the subconscious? Cause we inherit everything from our ancestors. Right. So like, we're not just dealing with our own journey here. This like, you know, 20, 30 year, 40, 50 year journey. We're dealing with like thousands of years.
1: Yeah. Actually this really clicked some things into my mind, uh, what you're saying. Cool. That maybe I, I mean, take everything I say with a grain of salt people. I don't claim to be the, arbiter of knowledge here, but this is what is flowing right now. I think what, what I've researched about the biofield demonstrates that outside of the six foot bubble of someone's strong visible aura is the ancestral biofield. And it's like a layers of a tree tree rings, right? It just goes out and out and out perpetually, mother to the right, father to the left, all the way ad infinitum. As if you're standing in a hall of mirrors that reflect, like two parallel mirrors that reflect infinitely and down each side is your mother line and your father line. And that's, we carry that energy. We actually generate that energy. We're the new dynamo of that vibration. Once we become embodied, that seed is passed to us. And so when I talk about how aperture of the third eye is, the white light of source, if you will, or the clear light of source, I'm talking about potential. So what happened, what's happening when you open aperture is not that you are opening up to more of reality in a sense it is, but actually you're opening up to more of potential because that is undifferentiated reality (laughs) that you're opening up to, which is why people can go up or down the elevator really fast with psychedelics because, First of all, and I'll explain that a little more, but first of all, you are coming out in a different world than when you went in because you are mixing it up with the primordial essence of nothingness and everything by entering that space. And so you could have a huge journey with that because you took intention and you shaped that primordial energy that you were opening up to, and you shaped it into a new you and a new reality and a new life. And everybody that takes the medicine does that, but did they do it with intention or did, they do it with, or did they do it with a collective sense? I mean, you see a lot of people in the medicine circle have a similar experience together, and then you might be the one weirdo that was like talking to Gandalf instead. And so a lot of people, their, their medicine experience is shaped by the group they're with because they're not carrying a strong enough intention for what they want to build out of the experience to have a more individuated experience. And then other people can go dark with the experience to a degree that can shatter and uh, annihilate their ego in a bad way that, I mean, you're going to have kind of an ego disillusion either way, because that fire of primordial energy, it, enlightenment is a destructive process. It does. Everything that's not rooted in truth in your being does get shaken up when you, when you bring that energy in. And so if, if, If you have roots that are really deeply entrenched in some corruption of your own nature that you're not willing to let burn away, there's a lot of friction and resistance and then that's gonna be what really chops up your ego in a bad way. But the parts of your ego that are rooted in truth and alignment and harmony will come out all the shinier and all the more visible. So to get back to the biofield aspect of this, I think that the senses are not really detectors. It feels that way from inside the body and from the the story we have about how reality works. So we think that's how it is. So that's how we feel it happening. But those senses are really more like lenses or filtration systems. And they're filtering out that primordial energy into the feeling of touch, into the feeling of sight, all of that. But out and further in the biofield, there are structures that impede or Uh, in some way, reflect, refract that light that you're shining out from your core in different ways based on the structure of the energy that's in your field. Like if you have a lot of pain in the left shoulder, there's often a biofield swirling energy mass kind of stagnant whirlpool, if you will, or maybe a wall, you could imagine it as walls around it in a sense that is holding the energy of being let down of hurt expectations disappointment that type of thing and it will hang out in that spot there's an entire anatomy to this six foot bubble around the body that authors like eileen de McCusick have been she's a researcher and author they've been pivotal in helping us go past just the idea of the aura into like well what's the anatomy of the aura and what's going on there and i think because there's so much consensus around her biofield anatomy through all the people she's trained and from my personal experience, using it as a model and finding it unbelievably accurate that we could say that those obstructions in the biofield are also, they're always related to the type of experiences we're having in our life. And so if there's an obstruction that's pertaining to your mother's side and pertaining to a certain feeling like will, like around the solar plexus area, but offset to the right. And there's an obstruction there. The light of source that you're projecting outward to build the hologram experience of the dream that you're in is going to distort in that direction. And when you draw your mother to yourself or the one that fills that archetype in your life, it's going to come through with the distortion of them domineering their will over you. or you feeling powerless with them or something? Because the obstruction lies in that part of the field. And so, Going further out with this, this is where ancestral wounding starts to come in whenever you bring in more and more of that source energy through your spiritual practices or through the plant medicine is that, okay, you've worked through obstructions in the biofield. So the light is going out and reaching further and further. And now it's hitting this obstruction that was three generations back on the, the father side. And so now you're, now you're seeing through the lens of what it looks like through that dirty lens through that, uh, energetic obstruction or stagnant whirlpool. And that's like, that's, that's soul retrieval because, (laughs) and it's maybe retrieval is, I don't mind the phrase soul retrieval, but in a way it's soul expansion because you're breaking down all you're letting the flow open up to go further and further out from you. You're expanding your light is getting further and further out from you and less and less trapped in a shell, trapped in the armor. And even all the bad experiences that come to us, they're there to crack the shell.
0: <laughs> God, I love this. You know, I, I love that you have this way of mentally understanding it and describing it because I have this intuitive sense of it. Like I, I found myself in plant medicine journeys over the last couple of years get into a place in my own growth where I could just open up to like, yeah, like the realization that my body, my DNA holds all the experiences of all of my ancestors. Therefore, if I want to be free, which I do want to be completely free in this body, well, then it behooves me to open up to, you know, give some space to my ancestors to use my vessel to forgive it like if, if I'm here and you can only forgive it in the physical, right. Cause you had to be embodied in order to do that. Like, okay, I'll uh, forgive it through me because like, I'm here, I'm in the physical and I want to be free and you want to be free. So just like, forgive that shit through me, through my vessel. And I have spent like, like, you know, being in the West direction of his ceremony, just literally shaking and puking, you know, just shaking and puking and like teeth chattering, my whole body shaking, convulsing and puking. However, that's like clearing all this shit that actually is holding me back too, right? In my own life. So I don't wanna be held back anymore. I wanna be free to be exactly who I am, to be fully expressed. So in order to do that, I have to acknowledge that, you know, all my ancestors are in my body. So whatever needs healing, let's just like clear it up, you know, like I'm willing to take some medicine. (laughs) So
1: (laughs) I think the fact that it manifests that way of like throwing up and purging shows that that the uh, healthy being is permeable as opposed to vulnerable. Whenever you have a stagnancy, uh, it's like vulnerability and that's a big spiritual buzzword is like be vulnerable but that's like you could just say be open vulnerable implies that it's going to hurt or it's going to be unpleasant or it's going to damage you and i think that we actually have to it's not a yin and yang balance like masculine and feminine sacred uh experience to be always only vulnerable all the time and i think boundary i've had complete boundaryless experiences and I felt way too vulnerable. (laughs) And like, I mean, on a consciousness expansion level uh, where, you know, spiritual emergency level where I came to respect boundaries for the reason that they exist and that they're not, they're not all bad. But uh, I think that we can, like we said before, we can open the aperture to any dimension we want without having to open to other ones necessarily. And I think people listening now could take away from this just to, even open the aperture to ancestors and maybe you're not ready to take on their work yet, but you might want to start taking on more of their support instead so that you can get to the point where you can help them and yourself is (laughs) just ask, man, (laughs) like we did before we got on here, both of us individually had we laughed kind of about it that we both had this ritual of meditating and calling them in. And for me, it's just like really simple. I'm just meditating and at some point during it I'm just like y'all with me let's ride let's do this we're going for it and a second ago I just mentally checked in I was like y'all with me and I felt this rush of like electricity around the back of my neck and my head and it felt like something it felt like hooks grabbed my cheeks and pulled my mouth into a smile like forcefully and I was like ah yeah, they with me, you know, Yeah, I I'm, guess the ancestral the mouth
0: of God back here in the back of the head. We were talking about that on my episode on your show with uh, receiving that ancestor through the back of my head. You know, this is I think that's how I started really realizing about it is because I integrated this this ancestor that I actually was, because I think that's the other thing that's really interesting about this is you put like pull in past lives. soul, other lives that you've had and incarnated on the planet and what I'm realizing is a lot of times we'll, we'll choose other lifetimes in the same family line, like the same embodied line, the same lineage. We'll just, we'll keep incarnating into that lineage because it's got something we're working on, right? So we'll just keep incarnating and like me, you know, it's like your grandfather dies and then you have, you know, and then you have this baby and then it ends up just like your grandfather. And you're like, this kid is just like my grandfather. It's so weird, you know, is like, is it like because they inherited the DNA or is it cause it's actually like your, you know the same soul, like the same person <laughs> incarnating. You know, so these are just things that uh, perplex me, and I go, "Wow, all right." You know, and so I realized that that's what happened for me, as I realized I incarnated. You know, like I I made a choice. You know, however, six generations, seven generations ago, I made it. Actually, it was like seven. Yeah, I made a choice that actually set into motion a lot of suffering in my family line because of the choice I made. And so it, it, there was a ripple effect. And so this is the other part of being incarnated is you, is once you incarnate and you make some key pivotal choices, and then your, your life ends, you, you kind of go and review all this, like, oh, wow, that choice really led there. Hmm. You know, like you kind of can go, go back and review and look and see like how, what was the impact of my choice with that thing? Like, how did that trickle out? Like, how did that manifest as, as like karma, you know, and and then it's a chance to come back in and and see if you see if you can modulate that, see if you can bring forgiveness, compassion, you know, redirect that maybe, you know, bring it better, a higher beneficial outcome, you know. And so that's really like being the uh, the mystic, you know, in the family line, like coming in and and remembering that along the way, is like I did in my journey, waking up and going, oh wait a second, I remember now, I can actually like influence this now, okay? And why, how, by taking responsibility for it. Like I took, I finally got to the place where I could remember it, remember that that was the choice I made, remember that I saw the ripple effect of it and remember, oh, that's right. I came here to own that, to take responsibility for that and to clear that up. And so that's what I did, you know, so, but it takes a little while to unpack the distortion, you know, and then not remembering.
1: This is all very, very interesting stuff. I want (laughs) to add, I'm really enjoying this spontaneity. And the direction this conversation is going, especially because I think I can take us back to nothingness again. Yay. Yeah. So in the spiritual, even I don't even worry too much about like, I'm cool with the conceptualization, but I don't even worry about past lives for myself. I don't, I don't really dig there, or explore there because I'm kind of over beginnings and endings as a concept. I'm more into eternity as a concept, right? And so I look at it as like the same undifferentiated super self that is manifesting in the variety of all these bodies and forms and experiences that we can see uh, emerging out of our core as the holographic reality and the projection of future and past and all of these things. But when we look at the spiritual side of ourself, that's the unbegotten That's the reason I want to get rid of the beginnings and endings in my framework for that is because that's an unbegotten source. It's pointless to be like, well, source created or God created everything out of nothing because then you have to go, well, what created God or what created, where did source come from? And so it's, to me, it's a lot simpler to just be like, it just is and everything just is (laughs) because if you say a creator created it specifically, then you have to be like, well, who created the creator? And instead, you could just be like the creator and the creation is the same eternal dynamic, eternal idea. It's a process. It's a verb. You take out the creator as a noun and a character and just allow it to be the self-evident, self-existing nature of all that is, even what's beyond what we can perceive. So that part, that's the divine spark that we, uh, I think, stepped down from as far as how we came into these bodies. But- what strikes me or what's jumped into my head. Maybe it's, uh, maybe someone's given me a hint <laughs> from, from beyond, but like, <laughs> what jumps into my head about this is that, uh, the unbegotten aspect of ourself would have no continuity. And so if we're this unbegotten, no continuity experience of infinity, uh, which is also the void, then we have no way to really chart our progress or know where we're going and this genetic biological continuity of continuing life after life after life. And it creates like a, a web across the chasm. It, it It's our anchor in the nothingness, in the void. It's our reference point. It's like a save point in a video game. And each time there's a new life brought into the dimension, it's like a new save point gets activated. And in this way, we are mapping out the heights and the depths of ourself which is infinite behold the ladder is going up and down and then we get to wake up to the realization that we can perpetually go upstairs or downstairs we can play shoots or we can play ladders (laughs) and at some point we're going to in a cyclical way play all the roles and so we can accept that we are going to do that but also not reject the game and like flip the board over and say i'm not participating in samsara or i'm not I'm going off to leave my family and my friends and meditate in a cave for five years. I mean, do you, if that's your thing, but also don't feel like you're less of a spiritual being for not wanting to extricate yourself completely from Babylon. Because like we said, I don't know if we were on the recording or not, but earlier today, I was just like, thanks house. I take back everything I ever said about, (laughs) about society, about the conveniences of society being, horrible. I'm really glad I'm in this house right now in 10 degree outside weather. <laughs> and I had of like a moment where I was just like, okay, I'm not as anti Babylon as I sometimes act like there's some things that I mean, I'm just not equipped to. Uh, I'm not at the level of mastery yet to control my body temperature and maintain homeostasis out there like that the way that maybe some of the the uh, Norse ancestors could have done without even trying, you know, and I want to regain that level of strength. But if you throw a baby out into a, a snowstorm, it's not going to live probably. And in a lot of ways, we are, we've returned as humanity back to a level of infancy in, in terms of our strength and our potential. We've expanded so far in some directions in the mental planes, if you will, in the conceptual planes. But a lot of that structure and a lot of that scaffolding is actually a Tower of Babel. It is nothing but useless information and contradiction that is at the end of the day, leading us away from truth. So I think it behooves us as the babies in this scenario to start trying to get safety pins off our diapers and maybe get ourselves potty trained so that we can, at the next point that we incarnate, if reincarnation continues eternally, like a lot of people seem to have direct experience that it does, that maybe in that future incarnation, it's not such a shithole. <laughs> not yeah. that I, I don't think it's a shithole now, but I think that uh. the more we corrupt our own nature in terms of our behavior and our our bodies, the more that the nature around us is corrupted, and that's temporary for nature, but it, it's all we have in our in our temporal experience in a single life.
0: So true, so true, and and that coming back to that realization of um, being all connected with all that is, and that what, what you do to one thing you do to all things, as I was telling you, um, you know, because this is Valentine's day in Texas and we are having a, you know, we're having cold weather here too. And we have, we have a burgeoning homeless population here. We have four times the number of people that are homeless because why, because we have this crazy freaking economic system that ha- is, is like, um, Well, it's heartless in many ways, right? It's like, well, you know, you better like just pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and, you know, we're not here as a collective for you. You know, you got to figure yourself out. And in some ways in the spiritual journey isn't, you know, it is kind of true. Like we're each responsible for ourselves, but we can also be humanity, you know, and we can explore what humanity actually means, which is that no one gets left behind. You know, if somebody's having a crisis uh, um, that a mental or emotional or inner crisis that, you know, they just can't resolve it to be self-sustaining and provide for themselves and you know we we need to as humanity have a way to, to mentor you know to support and mentor people to the place where they can you know where they can provide for themselves again you know this is like this is just you know i don't know anyway i i just i feel like it's it maybe some people would say oh that's socialist I feel like we are all connected. So we can't just ignore what happens in the jungle and think it's okay here. You know, if it burns, if the jungle's burning down, we're not okay here. We just well, think we are because we we're in a delusion.
1: Socialism and communism and these type of ideas are attractive to people for the reason that you just said that they don't want to see anyone get left behind. And the, the the real truth is, though, that none of that could ever be dictated from a top-down, centralized, control place because that absolute power corrupts absolutely Maxim is radically correct when it applies to humanity because you're, you're doing something artificial or against nature by investing any one person or group of persons with rights that they didn't have in nature that applies to anything, anything authority based or any license you could get to do this or that is if it's not something that you had the right to do that your conscience would have said was right when you were a child before you maybe murdered it, depending on who you are or where you work. Uh, then it's not right to do no matter what piece of paper or uh, ID card says that you could. And so when it comes to our system that leads us to have all these homeless people, the key thing to understand is that I think it's not that humanity doesn't want to help each other out and be charitable. I think charity is the rule, not the exception, especially in hard times, but the system that we have right now I think is the ultimate manifestation of what I would call the dark arts, because what makes something that is art out of harmony with nature is a a value system that is artificial. And that's a deeper conversation maybe, but when it comes to the value system and the incentive built around that value system in our current commerce and economy, well, we're passing around IOUs, united states dollar bill is a debt note it is not actually even money it's not what it's not called lawful money in law i've i've been looking into the legal shenanigans because legalese is the most complex black magic web of deceit and trickery that has ever existed on the dimension <laughs> and that's a that's its own episode by getting into this looking into the system at systemic problems you realize that if all money in our system is created as a debt note or as an IOU and just by being printed, it comes in attached with debt. That means there's always less money in the system than the debts that are outstanding. You compound that problem with compounding interest, which is where those that have a lot of money in a bank account see that money just magically increase and those that have loans and debts see that debt magically increase. And so it's skewed for the top to get more heavy and the bottom to get more shrunk and the less to go around. So when we look at the homeless situation, we're talking about a game of musical chairs where we all are, we all, whether we recognize it or not, are agreeing to play musical chairs and musical chairs means that the longer the game goes on, the more people there are without a chair. And that's it. This is monopoly. We're playing monopoly and it's, Mm -hmm in my opinion, that's the root of the problem. Not that humanity is bad by its nature. doesn't want to help each other. It's that we're all caught so far up in this false value system that we're at the point where we value ourselves with it. And we just say, time is money. And we'll, we'll screw around for 15 minutes because that time isn't valuable enough because it's not enough time because we don't value our time because in our mind, we make 15 bucks an hour, or minimum wage or whatever. Whereas the Bill Gates of the world wouldn't even stop to bend over to pick up a $100 bill because of the way that he values his time. And this is what the real schism in humanity is, is that we have a bunch of false valuation and we do it through language. We do it through tricks like taking something from nature, saying that this part of source is now separated and divided off and we're calling it a resource instead of source. And then that means it's someone's property instead of us being property of it as in an expression of, you know, a mathematical property of nature. That's what we are. And and we cannot therefore make nature our property. And that doesn't mean we can't like maintain a relationship with physical objects, have things that are our possessions. But we got to recognize that, that that's a two-way word, possession. It's not that you possess it, but it possesses you. It occupies a prominent space in your, your aperture filter that it's always, and I remember when I used to vape and I, and I would trip out about how like I, I would actually be in these expanded States. And this is what kind of got me off of it is I'd be like, this technological device is like an attachment. It's like a life form that only exists in the universe. That is my personal universe because I keep feeding it my attention and the ritual. And it literally was like, I realized that it went everywhere with me. It was always in my pocket. I'm like, this is literally a demon attached to me right here. (laughs) And it just looks like a little shiny piece of metal. But you can expand that realization to all kinds of things in the digital technocracy that we take for granted on a day-to-day basis. How attached to it is, are we? Like, are we possessed of it? And at the end of the day, the thing that everyone's possessed of that's the most demonic is of personhood, which is citizenship, which is not the same thing as your, your uh, living natural self, but on paper in the legal system, you actually have a legal person that has got your name and all capital letters that is a corporate entity that makes you a shareholder in the corporation called the United States Corporation. <laughs> this is all like, you know, this is all stuff that's out there for anyone to find out that ever wanted to find out, but most people are too caught up in distraction and valuing other things to even figure out why, you know, rights can be taken away left and left and right in this era, despite the so-called protections of other magical pieces of paper that we mythologically believe in to protect our rights. And the, the fact is none of those things give us rights or protect our rights. Our rights are inherent and negative in nature, meaning we have every right to everything in behavior that is not harmful or against uh natural, the law of nature, the law of harmony, law of charity, these basic things that are all conscience driven that you can always know without anyone needing to tell you. So we have all those rights and you can only, they're called negative rights in law because you can only describe them by that which they are not. And that's actually what truth is itself. And that's what we are ourselves. That's why the obscuration happens in vision perception. We can only distinguish that which is there and in reality and truth through the con contrast of what is not us or what is not true, what is not real. So I think that's why we have so such a lumpy, crunchy, nasty, decrepit system all around us is for us to see so much of what's not us all at once that we can become a much more aligned and harmonious version of ourselves collectively that much quicker because of all that uh, helpful shadow to fuel us on that quest.
0: Beautifully stated. You just you just brought the whole episode to a close. I was like, Uh, wow, you just did that. I'd like to thank
1: whoever was helping me. Yeah. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Pretty much. That's awesome. That was awesome. This is one to watch back, folks. This is one to watch back. This is like, wow. Awesome. I love these conversations with Chance. This is not the only time because seriously, we got more conversations to have. Um, Yeah, what unlocks during these conversations. I know that you enjoy this process as much as I do opening up to the divine and letting it come through, right?
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm jazzed up for a long time after one of these.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. So, you know, once again, everybody, like if you enjoyed this episode, which how could you not? I mean, really? uh share it out you know share it out to people you know share it on social media share it in all the ways that the machinery knows that this is important information give it some likes you know likes and shares and all that kind of stuff just that it just helps us out with the computer system and uh and uh yeah and i'm you know check out chance's podcast i'm going to put the link to interverse podcast below so you'll better check it out and hear more of his fantastical conversations with other fantastical people (laughs) you could, you could really, you know, you get lost in lost in some conversations here too, but found as well, you know, so it might feel like getting lost, but you're actually getting found. So appreciate that. And
1: I was lost this whole time.
0: (laughs) I know. And then it will whack around. And I was like, wow, that thing just happened. That's why when we have the conversations, I'm tracking it. And I'm like, oh, I wonder that. And I'm thinking, you know, and then the questions are getting answered. Right. And it's like, (laughs) cool. And then I got to go back and let's do it again, because otherwise, like because now I have to receive it because I've been an active channeler of it and a receiver of it now I have to go back and watch it and listen to it to receive it for myself Me too
1: it works just like that for me when it's like this I think that even maybe guides are taking notes and then like okay don't forget this one all right wrap up that thread I think okay we did it that's full circle
0: (laughs) yeah it's always full circle that's the thing I love about it it's fantastic well, I really enjoyed this with you uh, again, Me Chance, too. and uh, we'll have we'll have Chance back on the show as soon as possible. we we'll these conversations. And, and you'll be
1: back on Interverse too.
0: Oh yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, because I love I love being in in that in the hot seat you're in right now too. I like both sides. It's actually fun both ways.
1: Me too. I've been feeling very grateful to be on more shows like your lovely podcast lately. So anyone that has other shows that they like that they want to see me or carry on. One way to get a host's attention about a certain guest is, is just let them know that they're out there. And then you never know, you might get to see other hosts that you like talk to these two hosts that you like.
0: Yeah. And we have more hosted conversations where we're actually hosting other beings of light having conversations through
1: us. Well, that butterfly transformation requires all the cells, the imaginal cells to link up together. And that's what me and you are doing in this process. I look at I mean, it's not just for the others out there. I'm also building my own network of people that I would want to know. There's nothing quite like reading a a great book and then actually getting to talk to the author like I got to do with you. It's a it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I think people like us are way more accessible than maybe even audience members out there on the shy side would recognize. So get in touch with us. We love to hear from you. I think I can speak for you to say that.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. Totally. Yeah. A lot of people think, oh, Carrie Hummingbird, she's so busy. I was meditating for a couple hours before this interview with you, right? (laughs) (laughs) Just relaxing. So yeah, we're not so busy. We're contemplators. That's what we're here for. We're here to contemplate. That's what we do.
1: Busy is a lie. I tell myself to justify being stressed out.
0: Yeah, and I have stress as a gene key shadow too, so I'm aware of that one. I don't let that one trip me up too much. Once in a while, it catches me still, but I still have 50 years left or more. Who knows how many? So I got plenty of time to work on these shadows, Chance, just like you do.
1: Yeah, I'm working on constriction. That's my lifer.
0: Constriction. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Need to get out of that box.
1: (laughs) Get out of the chair, at least.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for being on the show. And everybody, I hope you join us next week on Soul Nectar Show for more fantastical conversations. And thanks for showing up for us. And here comes your kisses. I always give kisses if you want to join me. Here comes the kisses, everybody. We'll see you next week on Soul Nectar Show. Bye for now. To dive in deeper to nourishing conversation, visit soulnectar.show. A awaken. and to the Sol-niter- Take a up from the depths of the From the, the source of who you
1: are.